So Chris Dolan's a writer for television, um, he's a novelist, he's a writer for radio, he's a playwright, he's a poet, he's um, anything you don't write for, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, I've, got, I've got a line about that though, Dominic. Um, when people say this, people think about the downside. The, the good side about that is that for 20 odd years I've by and large managed to, to, to put food on the table because uh, I do a lot of different things. Uh, but the problem with it is that the novel writing world think that I'm a, 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 a dramatist, a, a playwright, and the playwrights all think I'm a television writer, and the television writers all think I'm a, a factual writer. The factual writers, are, so I'm not really in any in any gang anywhere. If you see lists of writers in any of these things, I'm numbers they never in them uh, because I'm never quite enough in any one uh, discipline. So it's never been bland. It's just the way it turned out. Yeah, but um, the the crucial point is the bit about putting the food on the table and being able to still do the writing, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's you know that's the way it came about. I mean, I, I set out twenty odd years ago, almost thirty now, to to become a, a, a prose writer, uh, a, a novelist, really. And then you know, somebody offered me a, a, a job in writing a play, and I really enjoyed that. So I did that, and then I got some money out of that. And then somebody said television, and television really paid well. And at that point, I had two young kids, so mm-hmm. I really needed the money. So yeah, all all just kind of happened. And yet, you're right. I mean, I have compared to other people, by and large, because I've got a couple of different strengths in my bowl. I have managed to put food on the table for for most of my life. I've always done a bit of teaching. Yeah. Well. Um, so we last spoke, and it was March thirty first, which is nearly six weeks ago. Um, is that when I was yeah. trying to figure out how long? Yeah, yeah longer than I realized. Yeah, and yeah. and um, since then, I, I I want to ask you first about how you're holding up, but I should probably give a bit of background since we're speaking on the eleventh of May, and uh, Boris Johnson, the uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Um, made a speech last night in which he outlined the steps that the UK government uh, would be taking to ease lockdown restrictions. And um, as far as I could tell, it was really basically, if you can go to work, go to work. But if you can't, don't. And then some of you can do some of these other things, but maybe you shouldn't. It was pretty disorganised and pretty vague. Actually, I think you've really clarified it for me there, Dominic. That was more clear than uh, <laughs> Johnson managed to make it sound. Maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm uh, doing him a favour there. Now, a couple of days before that, the First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, had said that Scotland isn't going to be relaxing measures anytime soon. Neither is Wales, neither is Northern Ireland. So it's quite an interesting conundrum for the United Kingdom, quote-unquote. Tell, it tells you everything you want to know about you know the politics of, of the United Kingdom um, as they are these days. Um, you know, England's running away on a kind of a, a right wing populist ticket. Uh, I mean, not everybody in England, you know, so you know, got lots of friends who are outraged and feel very much left behind by it. Um, I'd be interested to see how the Labour Party reacts. Starmer's made a few statements, but I think it's actually about now they're talking in the, in, in the House of Parliament. Um, I worry that he's, he's a bit too much uh, collaborating at a time of national uh, um, disaster uh, rather than actually criticising, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a right-wing agenda. It's, uh, it's we need to get uh, the money rolling again, uh, and, if, and if, a, if a few um, smelly people die along the way, well, so be it. I, mean, I, really, I really think it's quite cynical. You know? um, and also always come about, you know, so Nicola Sturgeon, and I presume therefore it's true in Northern Ireland and in uh, Wales, 
they found out what uh, Boris Johnson was going to say in the newspaper yesterday morning. So there have been no, and he, he just lies. He, he said on the, on the television and his, in, his, in his address, you know, we are working closely together with the four parts of the United Kingdom. It's just a lie. <laughs> Untold yeah. anybody. Um, so it left everybody high and dry. Uh, but I think he's coming out of it really badly. I mean, you know, everybody's saying, well, what do you mean? And how's this going to work? And things like he said on Sunday last night, tomorrow. And now he's saying, no, but he meant Wednesday. And it's just things like that. You go, well, hang on a second. This is a recorded speech. Presumably all your speech, you know, uh, kind of funkies have gone over this and Dominic Cummings has been all over it. Yeah, you still manage to get really fundamental things wrong or you change your mind the minute you say them. So mm. it's all about worrying. Because up until now, there's been some kind of unified front against COVID. But, but now it looks as if that's kind of falling apart. So it's interesting. One of the things that seems to be coming under... Uh, um, scrutiny i guess <laughs> is the idea of the conservatives as being and I, I, I never bought this anyway but like the the myth of conservatives as being the competent steerers of the ship of state you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely that you know in times of crisis you want you want the tories yeah that's right you want a steady hand in the tiller you want somebody with a posh voice and a public school education to yeah. be in charge <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And uh, that's kind of resulted in about, what, nearly 32,000 people dying from COVID-19, the highest death rate in Europe. I think we are the worst in the world, even if it depends whichever way you look at it. America, you know, we're, we're, we're a close uh, run uh, race with uh, Trump's America. Bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, just extraordinary. Yeah, um, yeah at every single juncture, it seems to me. Um they have they have mishandled everything. So yeah, you're right. It's not just the, the, the whole right wing thing. There was this thing that you know Tories and you know conservatism generally, and that's probably what you wanted something safe uh, and, and the least safe people of, of all. I mean, um, the, the the three other parts of the kingdom are playing a far safer, a more reasonable game. I think all all four bits are getting it wrong in various ways, but uh, by and large, uh, England seems to have, London seems to have got it more wrong than anybody else. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose I should point out to anybody listening who isn't familiar with this, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are, have devolved assemblies, so they have the power to essentially uh, make their own decisions in this regard. And, and I'm wondering about um, one thing that struck me, and I don't know the answer to this, it, uh, there hasn't been any curtailment of travel across the border, has there? Well, that's Between the, yeah. Scotland and England. Exactly, I was asking that. You know, so... Hang on, if you're saying that in England it is okay, for instance, you can drive to a walking spot. Um, so, you know, if you want to go to the, 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 they didn't say how far. So if you're in London, you want to drive to the, the, to the Lake District. Uh, I'm not sure how, where you would stay because you're not really supposed to stay anywhere or see anybody or be near anybody. But see, that there's nothing to stop you. Now, if there's nothing to stop you driving to the Lake District, there's nothing to stop you coming over the border. But in Scotland, it is only essential journeys. Uh, and people are being stopped and fined on the, the, the highways if they're on, on a motorway uh, for no essential reason. I mean, we'd really like to go up and see our daughter, who's having a bit of a hard time in Aberdeen. But we can't do it uh, because the police will stop us and fine us and turn us back. Mm-hmm. So what happens when... So I mean, this just isn't thought through. It also so completely disregarding the Welsh, the Scots and the Irish. Um, that no concern on that it doesn't even they haven't bothered to consider that it's not their affair they don't care and if people drive over the border to Scotland or Wales then the Welsh and the Scots can deal with it and that's going to be a flashpoint uh, well it's also it, it's just a, it's a very 
unexpectedly dramatic literal representation of the split nature of the identity of the UK now, right? And this is from the Conservative Party, who are the Conservative and Unionist Party of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, or wherever they're called. Incredible, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, there's unionists, they're the least unionist party in, in so many ways, because you know, they really don't <laughs> care about Wales or Northern Ireland. Or, uh, you know, um, I mean, at the final odd, I mean, you know, what's going to happen, um, you know, once this particular crisis is over? Because there's no doubt the strain now to four parts of the, 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 the United Kingdom is, is enormous and has made it much worse. But there is that thing about being unionist parties. I, I wouldn't have thought that Boris would like to have been the man. Sorry, I just called him Boris. I must not do that. Uh, Johnson would like to be the man who brought the United Kingdom down uh, and broke it up into its component parts. I'm sure he wouldn't want that. Though I, um, but purely for his historical um, um, legacy. I don't think he yeah. cares in any way at all. And in fact, if it, if it pleases his kind of right-wing friends uh, and all this kind of populist English stuff, then... Uh, then maybe he will go for that. Maybe he will say, well, you know, let's not bother this United Kingdom. Who knows? Well, so how are you holding up yourself? Yeah, I'm okay. Dominic, um, I mean, I think I said last time was at the beginning of all this, you know, we're, we're lucky I've got a nice house, got a wee bit of a garden, it's tiny, but you get outside, um, a cycle, and that's been allowed. Uh, and that's, that's been a bit of a saving grace for me. I do manage to go into the hills. I kind of walk on them, but at least I can see them uh, from the road. I'm always amazed, actually, I'm allowed to do that, uh, but I have been doing it. Um, so we're kind of okay. We, you know, we worry about our kids far away. We don't get seen our kids, and that's and you know, both of them are in particular situations, as all people are. So that's that's kind of difficult. Uh, I'm working like mad. I've, I've found that there's one of two ways this, this COVID thing's hit this lockdown. Either you get tons of, of uh, free time, um, and that could be a strain on you and how to fill it, or you get far more work. Uh, and I happen to be in the latter category, which I hadn't really expected. I think last time I spoke to you, so I'm just yeah. basically working non-stop, uh, and I'm worried about when that's going to end. Uh, but you know, it's it's so uh, you know I've survived it fine. But you just do look at I mean, uh, you know, there's this flats quite near us, and we know people in the flats, you know, two or three kids, you know, on the on the 14th floor, uh, no no balcony, you know. But, you know I just I'm, I'm just. Amazed how these people are surviving. Uh, must be a nightmare. What's your sense of of how the the government in Scotland has responded to the those uh, social strains that come with this situation? Um, for for the more vulnerable people in society, I mean, I know they they tend to talk about that in a more progressive way, say than the um, than the British government would. But they do. I think. Yeah, I think you're right, Don. I think I think they hit the right note more often. Um, quite often, there's not that much difference. There's not much they can do. I mean, this this virus is is foxing everybody. Nobody quite knows, you know, how it's affecting us all and you know, how you how you can uh, you make treatment better or whatever. So it's all very difficult. Um, so Sturgeon looks to me like that that that's the steady hand on the tiller. She looks confident. She she sounds all the right uh, notes because she constantly says how difficult it must be for young families and, and older people uh, and people who can't see their families and people in flats and limited space and with limited incomes. She's far more aware of that. And I, I'm really taken actually about, we were just out for a walk yesterday uh, and we're going to look at a part of a town which is, which is 
not too well off part of town. Now, we overheard a number of conversations and all of them were saying the same thing uh, because it leaked before the, the, the Boris Johnson's uh, um, speech. And I heard several people going, uh, uh, we, we, we trust Nicola, we're sticking with Nicola. You know, whatever Nicola says, we'll do. Uh, so they seem, they, they seem to trust her um, because she does seem to care. And I think she does actually care. And she is just more aware of the social problems uh, and less determined uh, to get the economy going, as they say, um, you know, at the possibility of a second spike. Because you know, if this goes wrong for Johnson and, and England gets a second spike, that's really bad news. Well, what do you what do you know? I mean, what what's happening in Northern Ireland? Do you, do you keep a, a year in the ground? You know, actually, I, Northern Ireland, I have not really managed to keep much track of, to be honest with you, and I don't know why that is. Actually, uh, you mention it, but um, I, I sort of assumed that they were kind of going along the the general line that was coming out of London, but that doesn't seem to be the case with regards to this. Yeah, that does suggest um, me that the, the unionists seem to be actually holding the, the line with, along with Scotland and, and Wales uh, and together with the nationalists, they seem to be speaking as one for the first time in years. Uh, I know, and, and also some also some common ground with the South, you know, yes, that's right. um, in terms of taking this seriously and, and being much more, um, being much more um, rigid yeah. on the circumstances in which they'll allow um, standards to kind of relax. So, so yeah, but I don't actually know, to be honest with you, Chris. So, just you mentioned South there, I mean, you know, they, they, they have been stricter and they have been better and they've kept the numbers way down. But the other thing about uh, uh, Johnson's and the, the Tories' plan is this thing about they're going to quarantine people for two weeks who fly into the country. Not if you come by boat or train. Come by boat or train, you can do whatever you like. But if you fly in to the UK, into England, uh, you will be quarantined for two weeks unless you fly in from Ireland or France. Now, I mean, you know, I'm no expert, but it takes me five seconds to realise, well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, first of all, why only flying and not boat and plane? And secondly, if I was really determined to get into Britain, if I was coming from Spain, I would just get a flight to France first. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And then what do you mean quarantine when they come in? I think all you've got to do is say to the, the customs people, yes, I promised to quarantine, bye now. Uh, it's, you know? a, it's a voluntary quarantine. Yeah. yeah. So there's no yeah. way of missing that. You know? So, I mean, it's just all these things don't make any sense. You know? And you think these guys, have been, you know, they've been on the SAGE committees, the COBRA committees, they've been sitting around talking about this for ages. I mean, you hardly ever see Boris Johnson. You assume he's been in smoke-filled rooms planning all this stuff down to the final detail, but none of it makes sense. But, he, but he, he's never been a planner, right? He's not really that interested in any of the mechanics of government when it comes down to it. What he's interested in is being in that position of being prime minister. It's funny, it's, it's kind of like the Trump thing, isn't it? I mean, I had kind of assumed, uh, much as I really am genuinely frightened of the man, uh, Donald Cummings, uh, uh, Dominic Cummings, um, that I kind of assumed that People like him and Rhys Mogg and various other people from the 1923 committee or whatever, and it's kind of the backbone of the old Tory party, actually, you know, had some kind of control over the Prime Minister. But you're right, it looks a bit like, as we all thought, you know, there was, you know, the President of the United States actually was really controlled by uh, major lobbies and interests within the, the government. <laughs> Along comes Trump, you find out, God, it's not true. Um, well, it's just not true on this occasion. 
And it seems the same with Ed Johnson. He's just going to come out and nobody's ever said to him we're going to be able to say to him, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, worrying. Yeah, it's very strange and, and um, worrying, I guess. What's the next stage with Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish government? What are they going to do in the next few weeks? Is it revisit things in a in a week or a fortnight? They're sticking to this uh, every three weeks, so you know we won't. And they're doing the opposite of you know the the, the Tories seem to be kind of leaking stuff. And it's obviously deliberate. Uh, whereas in Scotland, doing the opposite, they're saying three weeks. We're not we're not, we're not going to look at anything until the next meeting, which is in three weeks' time. It's three weeks after three weeks. And at each occasion, we'll look at it again and see where we are, see where the numbers are, see where the, this R figure is. Are we well under one uh, an infection rate? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they seem to be fairly kind of consistent with that. And I think people just appreciate that. They understand that even if they're frustrated by it, even if they quite fancy getting out and having coffee shops open and stuff like that, which they might see in England, I think, you know, I'd love that to happen here. But I still think most people are frightened. Uh, there's a kind of a feeling too that Scotland is probably behind the curve a little bit and that we've still got a bit to go um, Right. so I think they'll, they'll stick to the guns and in three weeks time my guess is they will go down not dissimilar lines to uh, to England but I think they'll learn the lesson and try and make them far more clear but precisely what we can do and can't do and I think it'll, it'll, it'll remain to be strict for a long time uh, certainly not driving to a beauty spot to walk It's pretty interesting that, that- the, the, the most basic thing, like like you say yourself, I mean, I'm certainly no expert in any of this, but but the one thing that you would think, okay, we're going out here to do this. Let's have clarity. Let's just give people clarity. Even if it's a message that they don't like, let's make it clear. Let's make it clear, you know. Oh. Because nothing else says, you know, the, 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 the virus itself is foxing everybody, is foxing the, 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 uh, the experts. Um, although most of them, there's one group of experts who are driving around the twist. All our lives, Dominic, uh, statisticians have told us absolutely immutable facts about things, you know, and, and so much of our monetary <laughs> policy, social policy has been determined by statisticians telling us that, you know, we owe so much and this and that, the next thing. There are guys, I, I, just, I just don't get it. There are whole departments at Oxford and Cambridge University full of statisticians, but they can't actually break down the numbers between France and here. They say, oh, we can't tell you how, for how we're, we're doing compared to Germany because it's all done differently. Seriously, you're a professor of statistics. <laughs> Can you find a way of working those two lots out? There are much, I mean, I, I, to the point where I think, you know, I'm not usually one for conspiracy theories, but you think this is just ridiculous. You know, is it because our numbers are so bad? They just don't talk about it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of laughing at this in exasperation, but it's it's so tragic. Terrible. I mean, honestly, just talk about it, Derek. So I think that is the problem. You know, the, the virus itself is so unpredictable that you need your leaders and your professionals to be as clear and as candid and work as hard as possible. And, and they don't see what they And as competent. Just be competent. Just be, you know. Even confidently saying, look, this thing is a bugger. We don't know where the hell it's going to go. But for the moment, what we do know is stay in your house as much as you can and don't drive to beauty spots. You know? Uh, until we can get this thing under control. I mean, I don't want you to think, Dom, I mean, for me, it's not just about the next couple of months. Until they find a vaccine, you know, this this is the world for the next year. You know? I mean, it just is, isn't it? I mean, until they get a vaccine, it'll just constantly be kind of slight peaks and drawing back and slight peaks and drawing back. So, you know, I, I just think uh, people have got to, our leadership should be looking to the, to the long term. 
Um, and I don't get the impression that anywhere they are uh, looking to the long term. How about where you are? I mean, do, do you feel it's different where you are in the, in the new world? Uh, well, um, there's been some easing of restrictions um, at a federal level and in most states, and Victoria is easing restrictions at midnight on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. And um, they have said that their kids will go back to school before the end of term two, so before the, I guess, the middle of June. So um, when exactly that'll happen, I'm not sure yet. So, you know, gyms and swimming pools will remain closed, but uh, people will be able to, you'll be able to have five people to your house and so on. So, but the the mortality rate here has been very, very low, um, as I think I'd mentioned before. Why is that? You know, I don't know is the honest answer. I I would say it's more by luck than judgment on the part of the federal government because I don't have a lot of faith in their capacity for um, clear and coherent planning given how they dealt with the bushfires. But it, on the other hand, I could be doing them a disservice there because the mortality rate is low. So, you, you know, if you blame them for messing things up, you got to give them some credit for when things work out okay. Um, they are obnoxious, the federal government, to my to my way of thinking, but that's a whole other a whole other matter. We've been yeah. lucky in Victoria that we have a very competent and um, efficient, I think, relatively efficient premier who has been very clear very early on about what we can do, what we can't do, and everything that the British government hasn't been, right? And yeah. so, um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. I think a lot of people are probably looking forward to the kids going back to school a couple of days a week at least. But the, the picture of the world as it's going to be in a year from now seems still to me completely unknowable. And, you know, I think I discussed with you before that I have this hope in my heart that it's going to be a utopian <laughs> reconfiguring of the capitalist system, but of course that's completely not going to happen. <laughs> it's funny, uh, somebody was telling me recently that uh, it's interesting, but I think partly because um, it got obliterated by the history of the, the First World War. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody really knew much of the Spanish flu. Uh, I said much about it. Um, and I, I still don't, but other people have been you know, telling me stuff, so, you know, this, is, this is very second-hand. Uh, but my son, who's kind of interested in, in public health, um, was saying what, what was interesting was um, how, how similar. Um, so, you know, you were getting arrested in the streets, you didn't have a face mask on, it's the same argument face masks, uh, the same thing with social distancing, all that happened in 1919, 1920, I didn't realise that, but very, very similar. Um, and a lot of the debates were exactly the same. I mean, they're, they're but we're better at controlling it now because millions died. Uh, whereas I think we're still in the, the, the tens of thousands worldwide here rather than millions. Hundreds of thousands, I think 200,000 ish. Hundreds of thousands, sorry. Hundreds of thousands, yeah. Um, but what I think is uh, uh, is interesting, apparently, so every kind of thought that the world is changing fundamentally here. Um, in 1920, I said that the same kind of conversation that we're having, saying, oh, we can't imagine what the world's going to look like. By July or whatever, 1922, everything was exactly the way it was before. Everything just went back to normal. You know, the, the, the thing died out. It killed America. It's going to kill 
Uh, and within about four or five months, all the face masks are gone, and all the, 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 the radical policies and everything else have all just gone by the wayside, and everybody just go back to the way they were. So, yeah, you worry that's what's going to happen here. But if you ever get a vaccine, then just the old system will kick right back in again. Uh, and it will make no difference whatsoever. But then I suppose it's up to us to try like not let that happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's the, that's the rub right there. And I, I've never been such a believer in that as, as I am today after, you know, the experience of being in the U.S., um, during the last presidential election and this, the years immediately after that and the just the realisation that you can't rely on other people to make the change that you want to happen in society. You have to get up off your arse and do something yourself. And I do you know? think that, that you know, there the probably is an opportunity, you know, who knows, I might, I might just, we might not manage it, but, you know, if there ever was an opportunity to try and change things, you know, this is an opportunity. Um, you know, there's no doubt the planet is looking better without all the the, the shit going up into the air of the pollution all the time. Uh, we have surely recognised what is important in our society and who should be paid and who shouldn't. Um, I mean, these times, surely we must just all be screaming from the rooftops from now on about what actually makes society work uh, and what actually keeps us together as as, uh, as communities. And also, I think that... The, and I was really pleased to see the New Zealand Prime Minister, what do you call her again? Uh, Jacinda Ardern. Ardern. Um, saying that this, and I've, I've often wondered, I'm sure you and I must have this conversation in the past, I've often wondered, I've never understood this idea, capitalist idea of perpetual growth. I was like, well, that can't possibly be right. I mean, you can't perpetually no. grow. So, and she's questioned it. So that's from you know, a leading Western democratic capitalist government saying, it's not all about endless growth. You know? It must stop being about endless growth. Um, and I thought that was one of the most exciting things I'd heard uh, a leader say, and not coming from some, you know, dark corner of the left, you know, that nobody's listening to, but from a highly respected leader uh, of the country. I thought, well, that's the kind of language we have to hear more of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The ideas by which we measure the success of a society or the success of an economy you know what are what are those measures you know exactly and it seems to have been for all capitalist societies have been getting bigger and richer constantly all the time of course we all notice a few getting bigger and richer all the time at the expense of a lot of, uh, of a lot of other people but yet to, st to stop looking at the world that way and say well we don't have to continue but we can't continue to grow if we do we're going to bust it again you know so we just can't so the idea, actually, that huge, radical changes that human beings are capable of massive, overnight, virtually changes, we've proven that that can happen. We've just done it. And we just have to be bolder. Yeah. yeah. So let's be bold now and say, no, we're not going to go back to the old way again. We're not going to have your same capitalist policies endlessly. We're just not going to do it. Actually, we can change radically. And I think, I think we've just got to hang on to that we? and just keep on keeping on at it and doing whatever little thing each of us can do to uh, just keep making that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's a kind of optimistic note. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hold that in our heart like a fragile flame. We should do it. Well, you know, as you're right, as uh, optimist about, what, hey, what the heck? Yeah. You know, um, no, I'm uh, serious. I'm not being, I'm not being sarky, like. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, I think it's true. I think, I think, you know, 
there's a, there's a kind of a battle coming up, and I think we just got to we're just got to go out there and and, and and try and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It, the the other thing that has struck me that is, you know, if you have the luxury of being able to maintain some sense of hope and optimism, then it's that's your duty as yeah. as a citizen is to try and remain optimistic and hopeful because the the flip side of that is exactly what your enemies want which is you know your despair and your giving up absolutely that's exactly what uh, the, the you know the, the the trumps and the johnsons and all and all the populist leaders of ever want they want to live in fear um so yeah yeah so not to do that uh, yeah yeah well i think we brighten each other up and ah, carry on the rest of the day now <laughs> Innervated. I have to go and you know smash some windows in a gap store now. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the good old days. That's right. I've been writing about that when I first went to Spain. I'm, I'm writing this book at the moment about crossing Spain. I've got 45 years of of, uh, of uh, being obsessed with Spain. When I first went to Spain, Franco was still was still around, and I got in with, uh, with bad people, with actually very very good people, um, and the excitement actually of going around and actually. Uh, you know, doing stuff like that, you know, on the barricades. Um, it was, it was, it was a wonderful one. We, and we can need some of that spirit back, that kind of spirit, particularly of youth rebellion, uh, to say we're not putting up with it. Thanks, Chris. Dominic, love talking to you. That was brilliant. You too. Always, uh, always. It's such a treat. Seriously. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Cheers now. Look, take care. Thanks, Dominic. See you. Bye. Chris Dolan's a writer who lives in Glasgow. And that's where he was speaking to me from. We spoke on Monday, the 11th of May, 2020.